So basically, again, this, the song the song said is just always th- thrills me. The uh, the selection of these songs by Kate and the and the, and the team is just every single word is scriptural, and we sing those praises to the to, to God. We lift them up. In this case, if you look at the sermon, your handouts, it indicates that my text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 31, roughly through 62, selected some verses. You're used to hearing and seeing this particular chapter in the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, immediately after Palm Sunday and before Good Friday, because it's a great Good Friday message. It talks about the Last Supper, it talks about those hours just before Jesus is taken, beaten, and crucified. So that's the focus for most people on this text. But I I saw something different there. I saw a need for restoration and redemption from from our God, and I saw the fact, that's why the title, Reasons Why Christians Fall, you're going to find those within this, the context of this text. So again, my, my title is Reasons Christians Fall. My text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 31, with selections through verse 62. Now you know that I always, well, these are printed in your handout together with the sermon outline in the back for your easy reference. And I trust that you look forward to these. All of you know that uh, <clears throat> I don't preach without looking to my father looking to God to accept my words and my thoughts and to guide me. And I ask you to walk with me through Psalm 1914. I'm not sure I could ever preach anything without doing that. So dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, we know, <clears throat> we know that Christians fail. We know that they fall. And the Bible has so many stories that would give us an indication about why believers fail. We study those so that we can avoid those things that would cause us to stumble, so that we might do the things that would cause us to stand upright and be true to our Lord. And so beginning with our text, Luke 22, verses 31 to 34, I want you to consider first verse 31, and that states, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. You know, Jesus could say that of every single person that is here this morning. Satan desires you. Never forget that. He desires to sift you as wheat because he wants to have his way with you. And then we look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Well, first, the word returned here is used in the sense of restoration. And when you have turned from that backsliding way, when you have gone through that fire and you have been restored, then you can strengthen your brethren. Just as an aside, there is one thing about going through an experience of falling, an experience of backsliding, and coming back to God, and that is that you are a lot more sympathetic to other brethren who need to be restored. 
You have come through all of that, and so you understand that, and you become effective in the kingdom. Now let's look at Peter's response in verse 33 to get back on our text. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Did you notice how Peter always, not always, but often argues? You know, can you identify with Peter? You know, I have some difficulty identifying with the tremendous dedication of the Apostle Paul, his stability, his steadfastness, and the way God used him. But I can identify so well with Simon Peter, the sinner. And here he begins to argue with the Lord. He begins to say, well, Lord, this message is for somebody else. Why are you talking to me? Why are you saying to me that Satan is after me? Why are you trying to warn me? Lord, I am ready to go with you into prison and to death. Then verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. You know, that's a pretty strong prediction that Peter will get into such a backslidden condition that he will even deny that he knows the Lord. And not only will Peter verbally confess to someone that he doesn't know the Lord or he doesn't serve him, but he's going to say that he's not a part of him. That's pretty strong. Now in the next several verses, 39 to 53, Jesus takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is there that the mob comes. They're led by the chief priests and the scribes to take Jesus prisoner. Well, let's see. In verse 54, we see that they're taking Jesus prisoner. They're leading him away. and We know what's going to happen. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be cursed. He's going to be bitten, beaten, and then he's going to be crucified. So verse 54 states, Having arrested him, they lead him, and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Peter followed at a distance. This is the man who said, Lord, I'll go to prison with with you. I'll go to death with you. But already he is backslidden. He's following Jesus at a distance. You know, there's a lot of people today who know the Lord. But the tragedy is they are following at a distance. They're not in step with Christ. They're not walking with Christ. They are fairly well behind him at a distance. And I think this morning we need to examine what kind of person would deny the Lord? What kind of a person would even curse in his denial of the Lord? Because we read in another gospel, we're told that not only did Peter deny that he knew the Lord, but he even cursed when he said, I know him not. And I think we need to examine exactly what kind of commitment Peter had to the Lord. And so consider first in your outline, was Peter a saved man? You know, some argue that probably Peter was never really saved because if he had truly been a follower of Christ, surely he could not have denied the Lord, especially when Jesus was in his time of crises at a time when his enemy had taken him prisoner. Surely in such a time as that, no true Christian could have denied the Lord. 
But I want you to remember, or if you can recall, in Matthew 16, 15 to 17, when Jesus, in response to the public's view of who he was, he said to the disciples at Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Listen, Peter knew the Lord. Peter had confessed Christ as the Messiah. He had confessed Christ as his Lord. He had confessed Christ as his Savior. And of course, Peter made the greatest statement about the deity of Christ and the person of Christ than anyone ever made in the full record of Scripture. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And also, Peter had walked with the Lord for three and a half years. Undoubtedly, he had been a part of a miracle-working ministry. Peter had been a part of preaching the gospel of Christ. So there is no doubt in my mind that this was a saved man. He was a child of God. He was a true believer. He was a true follower of the Lord. But number two in your odd line, consider Peter was a sinful man. You know, look again at A. Peter did deny the Lord. He did say three times, I do not know him. In spite of the fact that he swore that he would never deny him, in just a few hours he was doing exactly that. And so we asked the question this morning, how can a saved man become such a sinful man? I don't know of any sin greater than the sin of saying, I do not know him. I am not a part of him. I don't belong to him. And yet that sin is committed by so many people today who are truly saved people. Do you realize that every time a saved person refuses to witness to a lost person about Jesus, that he's saying to that lost person, I do not know the Lord. Now, we may not want to look at it that way, but that is exactly what we are doing. Listen, God puts us in that situation where we have an opportunity to tell a lost person about Christ, about salvation, about what Jesus means to us, about what Jesus can mean to them. God places us there, not by accident, but by providence. And if it is not by accident that the Lord puts us where we are, then when we fail to witness for our God, that, in truth, is denying him. We are denying him as much as Peter denied him to that crowd around that fire in that courtyard. Listen. We deny the Lord also so many times when we deny him the rightful place in our lives. We deny him as Lord when he gives us commands by failing to obey those commands. Those commands are from God. You know, we also deny Jesus when we are denying who he is in our lives. He is the God of glory. We're his servants. He's the master. We as servants are to respond to the voice of Jesus wherever and whenever he communicates or it is deemed denial. And what a terrible sin, the sin of denial. 
denying that you know the Lord, denying that the Lord is who he is in your life. Is it possible for a saved person to do this? The Bible says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know, I've never met the perfect Christian. I've never met the perfect pastor. And I've never met the perfect deacon. Quite frankly, I've never met anyone who was not at some time in life stumbling, falling, and denying the Lord. And yet, it is a a terrible, horrible sin. What happened to Peter has happened to you and has happened to me, and it can happen again. So we need to learn this morning why Peter denied the Lord. Consider being your outline. Why did Peter deny the Lord? First, pride. Again, verse 31 states, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And again, verse 33, But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In another gospel, Peter mentions the others, and he said, Lord, though they may forsake you, though all may forsake you, I will never forsake you. Peter has allowed pride to enter into his heart. Maybe it was because God had given him that great revelation at Caesarea Philippi. Maybe because of that great revelation that was given him, Peter felt that perhaps he was above all the other disciples. Perhaps he felt that he was somehow special in the eyes of Jesus because Jesus was constantly pointing him out. Jesus was constantly recognizing him. Jesus was constantly using Simon Peter. Spiritual pride had infected his heart. Perhaps Peter felt that he had now arrived as a Christian and a spiritual leader, and that although others may be weak and vulnerable, Peter may have felt that he was above that sin. He may have thought, Lord, the devil is not going to get me. He may be able to get someone else, like maybe old John or Philip or Andrew over there, but the devil will never be able to get me. I am ready. There are so many people today who are in danger of becoming, of falling because of spiritual pride. You know, they feel that it can't happen to them. And they begin to neglect the things that they have always done as Christians. They begin to depend on the, on the flesh and they begin to rely upon self. They take their eyes off Jesus and they think maybe they don't need the men's prayer meeting on Monday nights. Or they don't need the ladies' Wednesday morning prayer group. Maybe they don't need to study their Bible every day. Maybe they don't need to be a part of that Bible study group. Maybe they don't need to participate in ministry anymore. They've just kind of arrived. They get to the place where they feel that every sermon is for somebody else but not for them. They feel they don't need to examine their heart or their life. They don't need, they don't feel the need to get on their knees before God and ask, Lord, is it I? They never need to come 
and rededicate their lives to Jesus because, after all, they would never deny him. The very person who says that he will never deny the Lord is that person who has allowed spiritual pride to enter his life. And, of course, the Bible says pride goes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. You know, the greatest attitudes of pride are not in the world. They're in the church of the Lord Jesus, in some of the best people in the church. And Peter was filled with pride for himself. Why did Peter deny the Lord? Well, second, consider in your outline, he was prayerless. Consider verse 46. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying. He comes back to his inner circle, to Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. This is the second reason Christians fall. Christians fall not only because of pride that gives them this false confidence in the flesh rather than having confidence in God, but Christians fall because of prayerlessness. Jesus had commanded the disciples to watch and pray with him. And then he went a little further into the garden where he prayed and he agonized with the Father. He prayed until drops of blood fell from his forehead and dropped to the ground. He prayed and he said, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. And when he came back, had they been praying with him, for him? In this hour of great crises, in this hour of great need, can you imagine Jesus asking you to pray with him and for him? This isn't just the pastor asking you to pray. This isn't a brother or a sister asking you to pray. It's the Lord asking you to pray. He comes back, and rather than praying, he finds you sleeping And that's exactly what happened in Peter's life. That's why he was an easy prey for the devil. You know, any time we stop praying, we open the door for sin. You cannot pray before a holy God and still live in a backslidden sin at the same time. Some people are sleeping when they ought to be praying. Some churches are sleeping when they ought to be praying. Listen, we need as a church to understand that we can never move forward apart from the power of sin, power of prayer. Are you here in this sanctuary on the third Sunday night of every month for prayer? And likewise in your Christian life, You can never move forward apart from the power of prayer, personal prayer, depending on God in prayer. And prayerlessness will cause Christians to fall. Why did Peter deny the Lord? Third in your outline, consider he fell because of people. Verse 55 states, Now when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Peter sat among them. He was with the wrong crowd. He was with the crowd that came and took Jesus prisoner. He he took a position with the enemies 
of Christ. He sat with the enemies of Christ. And while he sat with the enemies of Christ, surprise, surprise, he found it difficult to witness for the Lord. You know, we're living in a day when there are a lot of people who would drag you down rather than point you toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you are not so strong that you can run with a sinful, immoral, ungodly, rebellious crowd and be strong for Jesus. You will fail. Peter was a saved man, but he was a sinful man. And he was brought down by pride, by prayerlessness, and by people. Consider third in your outline that Peter was a sorrowful man. Our text, verse 62, states, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Why? Well, verse 61 says that the Lord turned and looked on Peter. Can you imagine the drama of that moment when the rooster crowed? Peter denies the Lord one time, two times, three times, and the rooster crows. Peter looks up and the face he sees is Jesus. He looks up and the face he sees is the face of compassion, the face of love, the face of tenderness. Peter was a sorry man. Got up, went out, and he wept bitterly. I don't know how many hours he wept. Perhaps he wept even as they were driving the nails into the hands of Jesus. Perhaps he wept and he could hear the ringing of the hammer and he may have thought, he's up there because I denied him. He's there because I wouldn't stand up for him. His enemies took him and I denied him. Well, listen, every nail that went into the hands and feet of Jesus, every drop of blood that was shed was shed because you and I are sinful people. We need to remember that when we sin, we break the heart of Jesus and our sin drives nails into the hands and feet of our Lord. And remember, he is a king. But we had him crowned with a crown of thorns. Sin is serious business. Consider fourth in your outline. Peter was a serving man. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible records the day of Pentecost. In John 21.15, we read essentially that Peter was restored. When Jesus said to him three times, Do you love me more than these? And Peter each time said, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus replied, Feed my sheep. Jesus was saying, Peter, I'm not through with you. Listen, when you sin... When you stumble, don't think God's through with you. God isn't through with you. God can restore you. When you are broken and when you come back to him in repentance, he will restore you. Peter wept bitterly. Jesus restored him. And on the day of Pentecost, Simon Peter stands up to preach. The power of God is poured out. The power of the Holy Spirit falls in that place. Everywhere, people are responding to the call of God on their lives. Everywhere, people are confirming their salvation. 
The Bible says that the Lord added to the church that day 3,000. The church, without a building adequate to fill them, praise God. Now I'm sure, after Peter's sin, there had to be people in the midst of the disciples who said, I knew Peter wasn't much anyway. I knew he wasn't going to last. I knew he was a phony. I knew he was unfit. There were some people who wrote him off. But thank God, God didn't write him off. God wasn't through with him. God raised him up. Listen, God demonstrated to us through Peter how a person can stumble and fall and even deny him. He can repent and come back to God and can be used in an unbelievable way. And no matter how the Lord has used you in the past, and no matter how you may think you have failed him, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a live and active ministry of restoration in the hands of God. God can restore you. God can put his hand on you and use you as a trophy of his grace to show you his mighty power in your life. The question I have is will you allow him to do that for you this morning? Now listen, if you have never been saved, if you have never really given your life to Jesus, if you have not truly submitted and surrendered control of your life to Jesus, that must come first. You must be born again. He will then forgive your sins and accept you as his child. And once you are saved, he looks at your sin just like he saw Peter's. And likewise, he looks at you with love, compassion, and mercy. Listen, if you are saved, you stand before a holy God forever, totally forgiven. Amen. 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 Service is over. Go and feed on these words. If you need to, take the steps necessary toward restoration. I'll tell you that God is all too eager to receive you. Amen? Amen. See you next week.